Welcome to Ladies Who Launch, not your average business podcast. Dropping every other Wednesday, Alyssa and Dakota are two successful and opinionated marketing entrepreneurs engaging in insightful conversations with industry thought leaders, as well as casual conversations surrounding our lives as entrepreneurs. Welcome back to this week's edition of Ladies Who Launch. It is Alyssa flying solo this week. Dakota is under the weather. Um, and in this day and age, we've got to be a little more cautious of those things. So she's taken the morning to uh, to recuperate from her um, sniffles. Well, let's hope it's the sniffles anyway. But um, I want to welcome, well, I have an awesome guest today. And I've actually known her like in in the media worldscape for a long time, but we actually haven't been able to connect and sort of work together um, except for the past few years or so. But uh, Bridget Brown is the owner of Create That uh, Communications. And um, she's also a former broadcast journalist, which is how I know of her and know her. I don't think we actually got to work on any stories together, but I do know her from her awesome, long, lustrous career in journalism. But now she has jumped into pile of entrepreneurs like the rest of us. And uh, she's got some awesome takes on being an entrepreneur. So um, I think everybody's going to be really excited to um, hear what she has to say about some very interesting topics. So anyway, welcome, Bridget. I'm so excited to have you here. And I'm sorry, it's just me because we know each other. But we're just going to show I miss Dakota, but I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Long time listener, first time caller, I believe is the expression. Yes, exactly. If that's the if that's where we're at, um, that's where we're at. But um, I uh, I have, I shouldn't say a fangirl, but like have, knowing you, knowing you now, and we've like been able to talk and connect. And but I still fangirl over how you've been able to sort of be a mom and pivot through this entrepreneur world and all of that through COVID. So talk a little bit about how you transitioned and what would the transition was like from journalism, TV journalism into starting your own business and sort of the why, and then kind of getting through COVID with kids and all this stuff. Oh, I, I appreciate that comment so much. Um, my secret is to not be very good at any of it. And then it's not really a problem. <laughs> no, um, I was a reporter and then I had my first son, Lennox, who is turning eight next month. Um, and I realized I was missing bedtime every day. And at the same time, I started to see the media head in a direction that wasn't really aligned with why I became a journalist. And so I didn't, uh, I didn't hesitate when CTV was offering buyouts for senior staff. I took one and I, uh, I started a business and it was always in the back of my head that I might because my great grandfather, my grandfather and my dad were all small business owners. And I knew that eventually I was likely to become what I I jokingly refer to as unemployable, which is, I like my ideas. I want to do things my way. I want to create my own vision for what is going on in the marketing space. And 
have people come and help me bring that to life as opposed to doing that in somebody else's ecosystem. And so I did. Um, I started with one client and that one client was amazing for me for the first probably six months while I built up the rest of my repertoire. I had my second son in 2018, Malcolm, he's three now, and I was able to scale right back down to practically nothing um, while I was, while he was very, very small. And I think that's one of the things that helped me out in COVID is I started to realize that my business can be whatever I need it to be. And so when COVID hit, um, because I'm focused on copywriting, messaging, that's my main marketing focus, a lot of my clients started to have different needs. Like they needed me to um, help them negotiate with their landlords, rent relief, because that is very much a communications and messaging component. And so I started doing that. Uh, and so I had uh, a lot of luck during COVID in being able to keep my business running that way. And then when it was safe again for that brief period that it was safe again, um, they were able to, I was able to uh, kind of go back to the way I was before. And it just offers some flexibility. I pick my son up at school at 2.30 p.m. every day. And I never had that opportunity as a reporter. So I appreciate that now. So, I mean, and I think that's awesome. And I think that's a, the lesson for a lot of moms is that you can do this. I think a lot of, a lot of moms I've talked to even through COVID who have been struggling with their full-time job and working from home and and, and, and being, becoming teachers and all of this, they want to be able to have this flexibility. They want to be able to do what we do and run our own business. And, and, but they're scared. And I think everybody gets that right. Because I was the same. I mean, I'm single, so I'm the sole breadwinner. So I debated about going out on my own forever because how do you give up a, a nice big paycheck to nothing? And so I think even as from a mom, like being a mom, it's like, well, I have, a solid paycheck every two weeks, even though this is too much for me. How do I, how do I, how do people get in the mindset that no, just take the leap? Like, yes, it starts with one client. I had none when I started. I just like went out and I'm like, I'm just going to do this. And then, yeah, but it starts with one. I mean, and then you get more. And I mean, that's how this sort of works, but I see, I, it's been an interesting um, how I've seen, whether it's my friends and colleagues through COVID and how some people have sort of reverted back into um, the traditional employee space because they sort of panicked a little bit at the beginning of COVID. And it's like, oh my God, everything dried up. So I'm going to go work part-time. And whereas other people are like, well, screw this. I am like, I'm just going to take this time to figure my life out and be 40 years old or whatever and like starting a new career. So everyone's sort of taken this time differently. But I think women and moms in particular need to know that like, you can just make these life decisions. And yes, it's scary, but so worth it. Yeah. uh, To me, um, one of the things about coming from broadcasting is I survived seven rounds of layoffs. And that's just luck. You know, I wasn't, um, it wasn't because I was especially talented as a broadcaster. It was just whatever I was working in at the time wasn't a position that got eliminated. And so I never had the illusion that the paycheck was the safe route because what I saw happen to very talented colleagues was they would have been, they invested 20 years of their life in this big giant corporation. And just like that overnight, they're gone. And to me, that was a real sign to not love something that doesn't love you back. And I 
felt like I was identifying myself as loving journalism and loving reporting. But really all it was is that I was loving doing what I felt I was meant to do. And so if I had an opportunity to find something else that I felt like meshed with my skills that well, I could go do that instead. And I think once I had that realization, it became possible. But you're right. If you're the sole breadwinner, that is a way bigger challenge. If you have um, benefits that you need, that's a, a perfect example. My husband has a job with benefits. And so I can't sit here and be like, oh yeah, moms, do it, do it, it's easy. Because I had that backing me up. But the other thing that I did is I knew I was going to leave TV for about a year and I was squirreling away every penny that I could. And then I think there are a lot of people who quit their jobs when they could get a buyout. And women don't like having that conversation because too many women get real uncomfortable talking about cash. And for me, I went in there and said, listen, I want, I know I'm only entitled to to four months with pay. I need eight months with pay. And I just asked, and you know what? I got it uh, because I feel like because I asked. And I think that there's a lot of people, women that, that won't do that. And they don't even want to do that once they do go out on their own to raise their prices. It's like women need to get comfortable talking about cash if they want to make any. That's so true. I saw an article about um, that very thing a few days ago about the fact of um, talking about money. And and I find it even even more frustrating in the consultant business space because um, I think I've ranted about this, about this on the ladies who launched before, but I, I find it really detrimental to what we do in the fact that nobody's open to what it is that they're charging or what it is that like, and not open, like nobody needs to know how many clients you have or whatever, but, but it's like, I've seen people charging as little as $25 an hour and, or, and people like are you, who are even charging still per hour. I mean, I do not charge per hour. Don't charge per hour people. Cause you can't grow your business that way because there's only so many hours in a day because you, you can't. I think only... it depends on the project. There are times yeah, so short charge per hour. But it's but... interesting that like, nobody, and I think this is where we fall into this too, is that when when we're going after prospective clients and we have people saying like, oh, well, they're they're only charging me this. Or, and I'm like, can we just start being open about what we do? And I think, especially in the communications landscape, it's like, no one's reinventing the wheel here. No one's carrying cancer. Like, let's not pretend that we're all so um, proprietary that like, oh my God, I can't give up my secrets. But the article that I read a couple of days ago was about the fact of this, um, this woman got a job in Silicon Valley and she had grown up in a very um, lower middle income, lower middle class family, um, Hispanic family in California. And so like, I think her parents worked in um, avocado farms or whatever. So like, she was like the first daughter, first child to go to school. And like, she studied um, programming, blah, blah, blah. So she went in and this wasn't her first job in Silicon Valley. I mean, it was probably three or four jobs in, but she went into um, this interview and she um, said that she wanted hundred grand a year. And that was her, her salary. And they came back to her with $125,000 a year. And she's like, Oh my God, like, that's amazing. And blah, blah, blah. And she's like, and then I was in the job for like six months and I realized everyone's making 150. Yep. I was just going to say that it's like, you you know, if they go for it, that you didn't ask for enough, you didn't ask for enough. And I think because we are all so scared to talk about money or talk about finances or even through COVID, I think people are very have been very hesitant to talk about the struggles they've had 
Um, because no one, like not everyone's business has gone gangbusters over, over COVID. And I think we all end up taking all that onto ourselves. And it's like, no, the more open we are about things, the less that the man can hold that over our heads and start like just holding a carrots out to us and we have to be happy about it. Bingo, because um, the wage gap, obviously you and I acknowledge is real, but while part of the responsibility is society understanding that jobs that trend women need to be recognized financially as much as jobs that trend male, um, another big problem is we're all taught to never be greedy. And it's it, there's so many parts of our life where it's imbued into such as, you know, don't eat too much in front of other people or don't ask for help when you could do it on your own. And I just started to realize like all of these are about um, taking away earning power from women so that corporations don't have to pay as much. And it's bullshit. Like, oh, am I allowed to say that on your show? Sorry. Oh, we swear. Oh, yeah. We're... Okay, good. I couldn't remember if I had heard anybody else swear because a couple <laughs> more might come out. But I always feel like, like, I'll tell anybody anything about my business's finances because I don't see how that does anything but help people. If you look at me and you're like, the year after you had Malcolm, you only made $19,000. I'll be like, yep, that's true. I only made $19,000 year after I had Malcolm. And here's why, you know, I was trying to do a mat leave. I cut down my clients on purpose, but like, I don't have to be embarrassed about sharing those details because I'm actually, I made the choices. Like I, I don't think that there's any reason to hide it. And that's basically the approach I take for anything. Anybody can ask me pretty much anything about my business. And I'll just tell you. Well, yeah. And I'm the same because again, like we're not curing cancer here. Like, I mean, my, my philosophy on running my business and, and why I run the business, my business the way I do and why I don't like have overhead. Like I work from home and have for six years. I don't want an office. Like to me, that's just a big ego trip that, oh, I have an office space and blah, blah, blah. Especially when yeah. we do, it's not necessary. No one in six years of working for my, has ever asked to come to my office or see my office or anything ever. In fact, most of the time they're more excited to see me and meet for coffee because they get out of the office. Um, Isn't that the truth? Beside the fact, I also, my bit, my whole business philosophy is helping other small businesses. So I've built my entire business on hiring other experts to do things that I am not good at or that I don't want to do. So that's why like I would hire Bridget to do copy or I would hire a videographer, a photographer. It's like, I, I'm not good at that. So it's like, same with social. Like if you're not good at it and it takes too much time, contract it out. So my whole philosophy is like helping other women entrepreneurs build their business. Because if I'm just here trying to like, like, grab on and hold on to all the business I can possibly get and get these clients and this, and I'm not going to say anything about it, or I'm not going to do anything to help you. What's the point? Really sad and, and very lonely way to run a business. Well, and I really believe in niching and you hit the nail on the head there when you talked about helping other small businesses, because I, that is my niche. I help small business owners increase their leads by 50%. That is, uh, that is what I'm promising. That is what I do. And so if I look at somebody else who is doing more PR or somebody else who's doing more graphic design, that's all great to me. This isn't a direct competition. There are enough people out there that want 
a plan that's just about small businesses generating leads that I get what I need. So I don't need to hide it. But I think like, we don't even talk about money with our friends, many women like, and you know, part of that is like, my best friend is a, is a lawyer. She's a a litigator and she's a partner at a law firm. So needless to say, she makes more money than I do. Uh, You know, that does create that little bit of like, oh, should I have done something different with my life? So, you know what, we talk about that. And she talks about, you know, the downsides of making that fat law paycheck, um, which are are myriad and and are a big part of why, never mind that I didn't want to go to law school. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, I think once you can break that down and actually talk about money with the people in your private life, it makes it a lot easier. The more you can do it, which is why I ask people to like um, figure out what their ROI is on social media. Tell me the numbers figure out the numbers, figure out if you're spending more than you're making. And if you are, then quit doing it because it's not until we get real comfortable talking about money that we're going to bring in more. Well, and and speaking about money in sort of a, an arc sort of way, you have a very interesting um, business model that you've created for create, created for create that Uh, (laughs) um, in the fact of, you're super direct in terms of what you bring to the table with your businesses and the clients that you work with. But what I find most interesting is that you are very to the point about what works and what doesn't. And you're very open about the fact of um, business to business, social media is a waste of time. And you and I have gone back and forth about this too, that because I lament about my social, like, being stuck in some sort of wheel of nowhere um, from my business social. I get way more play from my Twitter account, which I do not use for professional purposes than I ever do out of my professional Instagram. I have a hypothesis on that. Oh, see, but I think you are onto something here. And I think we as business owners, and I'm not talking about like just fortune 500s, but like solopreneurs like us, spend way too much time worrying about our social media or what we're like, that's what we're told we have to do is spend all this time like um, on social, like branding, blah, blah, blah. But when we're a service provider and our clients are business, like we're B2B, we're not selling something transactionally, especially on Instagram, that we're all just sort of spinning a wheel. And I find that look when you told me that like I don't know months ago that like when we talked about that I was like oh my god you're so right and no one talks about it like why are we spending so much time on social as business as service providers you and I are both Gen X yes you're also a Gen X person so I think we were sold the idea of social media say 2006 2007 it was like oh Facebook are we going to be early adopters out of my space, you know, that's kind of our gen. So if somebody's listening and they're like, they, they're in their twenties, they might not relate to this, but there was a time when there was no social media. Yeah. Um, and I think we were sold this bill of goods that it was going to be this free platform that you, we can promote on. And so we would have felt silly not being a part of it, but I started to realize that that um, something that I learned about way back in university electives is really affecting it. And it's called pre-framing. And so I think people who have uh, who also took that same psychology class know um, if what somebody heard or saw right before you spoke was negative, then their feelings toward you are negative. And if something heard, somebody heard or saw something they believe to be positive just before you speak, they interpret what you're saying as positive. So 
um, apply that to the Facebook newsfeed. And all of a sudden you're a business and you're trying to promote, say, a webinar. I have one client today that we're talking about promoting her webinar. Um, if they just read some moronic post about a politician they despise, that's what that's you have no control over that. And then they see what you put up and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Everything sucks. The world's stupid. This is not a good place for businesses who sell to other businesses to be marketing, because not only do you need people to be in a happy frame of mind to accept what you're going to be saying to them, but they also need to be thinking about their business as a business owner. Well, that's pretty small group of people. Like you're taking a lot of risk. And if you think about like, okay, if I'm going to create a good post, that's going to take me 20 minutes to make it pretty, to write a nice caption or whatever. Calculate that out and doing that multiple times. It's expensive. People think it's free, but it's not free. And so to me, I just stopped uh, focusing on it. I have, for example, I have a client who does used sneakers, um, gently used, sorry, the, the okay. sneaker head community will, will, will clamp down on me. He gently used and some new collectible sneakers, and it is a product-based business, business to consumer. Yeah. Yes. He's on Instagram. Of course he is. We're promoting him like crazy, but it's my client that helps people, uh, helps building owners make sure that their parking garage doesn't have carbon monoxide in it. Who's going to follow that guy on Instagram? You know, no. do you follow your dry cleaner on Instagram? Do you follow your furnace repair guy on Instagram? Probably not, unless you're good friends with them. And my hypothesis about why your Twitter works is because you are so Alyssa on Twitter. You're a riot to follow. And people are going to, as in real life, love what you have to say or hate it, but the people that love it want more of you. And I think that's a really big thing small business owners need to think about is where can you promote what you do and be authentic and create not followers, fans. And I think that's really what you've done on Twitter. I am your biggest fan on Twitter. Um, I love what you have to say um, because it's just indelibly you. That's an, that's an interesting point because, you know, when I first started, and I think a lot of women in particular, especially women who are have views on things and are opinionated on things feel very um, trapped a little bit when you first start your business, because you're like, Oh my God, like, I don't want to offend someone in case they wouldn't work with me and blah, blah, blah. And having worked in for nonprofits and government for a lot of my career, I realized how, and I mean, you were in, you were a journalist. It's the same sort of thing. You very rarely could have an opinion about anything online ever because that's, it would affect your, your career and what yep. you do and the, the people that you were working for. Right. So I sort of kept the mentality when I went on on my own. And then as, as I think it was 2015 hit and that's when sort of things changed and we had the NDP government come in and everything became so like immediately charged. And I think politics has changed so much in the last um, six, seven years, we could have a whole podcast oh, on totally. politics, but I really felt that I needed to start using my voice because the 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 sort of changing landscape of what was going on on Twitter um, and be, it becoming sort of a toxic place and everyone takes Twitter and Twitter in particular, I'll use that as an example, so seriously. And I'm like, oh my God, like if everyone's going to take this so seriously, like if you can't go on there and have fun or make some snarky comments or like say what you feel without like then 
like posting three hours later, be like, oh my God, everyone's been so mean to me in my DMs. It's like, well, why do you have your DMs open anyway that anyone can DM you? I mean, that's your, that's on you. But I felt I had a, I had a voice. And I think more women, whether you're a career or an entrepreneur need to step up and start showing their voice and, 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 and the things that you believe in and the things that you care about, because that whole idea of like, oh my God, someone's going to like see me and like not want to work with me because whatever. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to work with those people. You realize that after the fact, it's like, if you don't get me and you don't like sort of get my whole shtick and me as a person and my brand, um, yeah, we're not going to work well together anyway. So why am I going to cater in order to get you as a client when we're, yeah, we're not a good fit. That's exactly it. And if you're not a good fit, and I have learned this the hard way as a small business owner, if you're not a good fit with a client, it's never going to work out. It doesn't matter if you're able to suppress the parts of you that that person doesn't like. Maybe you do that perfectly successfully, but it's not the same as, you know, maybe I cover up my tattoos. If I get the sense that someone um, from an age or a cultural perspective isn't going to respect that, maybe I cover them up when I first meet them. I realized, you know what? I can only do that for the first meeting. I have to just be myself and somebody either has to be buying what I'm selling or otherwise they're going to be best with someone else. And that's okay too. Yeah. I think we all have to realize that too, that not, it's just like dating. Not everyone is meant for you. It's the same as clients. It's, but you know, that's another thing about what women are trained to be in society. And the most feminist among us sometimes trip up in this area. We're trained to be everything to everyone. I realized in hindsight, when I was in news, I wanted to be good at everything. I wanted to be able to edit. I wanted to be able to anchor. I wanted to be able to be the assignment editor. I wanted to be able to do everything because I thought that would make me more valuable. But it didn't. It just made me more likely to get taken advantage of. And I think it's the same now with clients. I want, uh, I came out of the gate wanting everybody to like me and be excited about what I was selling. But the fact of the matter is some people aren't and they don't believe in spending money on marketing and they don't believe. So why am I trying to change their mind when there are a bunch of other people out there that do think like me? And that's just, it's worked for me. Um, It takes a lot of stress off of me because I don't feel too concerned if somebody's like, no, you're wrong. Your opinions are wrong. Like, okay, well, I guess that's your experience. I, I, this is my experience and it's different. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I I think that a lot of that quite honestly comes with age. Um, (laughs) They say we're Gen Xers. So we're, we've kind of, I, I, we've gone through our awkward twenties and thirties and trying to figure things out. And I mean, you're a mom, which just brings a whole other um, level to that, especially a mom of boys, which we could also talk about too, and raising up feminist boys. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I think like, you know, you get, motherhood makes it easy to get distracted by just that. And I don't really identify, this sounds stupid, but I don't identify as a mom. Um, It is one of my vocations. It is one of the things that I do with my time, but I'm not a mom any more than I am uh, a a spin bike uh, participant or a reader. Like those are facets of who I am. They don't fundamentally define me. My kids know this. So my husband knows this and everybody who knows me knows this. Um, And I think that as soon as you start Um, thinking of yourself as somebody who has multitudes, somebody who has different areas that you excel at, it makes it easier to screw up in any of them. Because it's like, oh, I really effed that aspect of being a mom today. Like, wow, that was the wrong choice. 
okay, well, I'm going to go do something else and take my mind off it and I'll try again later. That becomes easier if you don't over-identify with any of your roles. And this is coming from somebody that being a reporter was my entire effing personality for 15 years. <laughs> it's like, that's not okay, man. I, there's more to me than that. Yeah, but you know, sometimes it takes it takes some it, it takes age and sometimes it takes some failures to figure that out. Cause I think that's the key there too, is that those of us that I have so heavily identified and put our personalities to our jobs through most of our early careers, um, it takes some level of failure. Like, I mean, we probably all have and- we probably all have stories in our career that you sort of realize that. Yeah. And you, and you brought it up early in this podcast about like those paychecks aren't secure. They will turf you faster than you can say boo. So like giving, it took me a long time to realize this too. It's like, why am I giving loyalty to this company? They don't care about me. Like I am, I am, I am hundred percent in agreement with that. And I think, um, you know, when it comes to things like parenting, it, it was helpful for me because I didn't always want to be a parent. And so I was able to imagine my life without kids. And um, I'm friends with a lot of child-free by choice people because of that. And so, you know, I recognized that there are a lot of different ways to have a complete and full life. And being a parent is just one of those ways. And I think that it's the same with like being a small business owner can be very all-consuming sometimes. But if something terrible happened, knock on wood, and I lost my business tomorrow, I would still be me. And I couldn't even grasp that until I was in my 40s, which is crazy to me. I know. Isn't it weird? I mean, we, I feel that personally, I've sort of just started to figure things out as I got into my 40s. Like that was sort of my, sort of the sweet spot now that I don't, have, I don't care what people think. Um and I know who I am and I know where I want things to go. And that sort of, I still have imposter syndrome. I think like all women do, like it always rears its head, mm-hmm. but man, I gotta say like when you hit 40, it's like, oh, this, this is like, which, what, what, this is what things should have been like 10 years ago. I know. I know. And my mom says the fifties and sixties are even better. So that's something to, to look yeah. forward to, but you, I wouldn't trade my, um, 21 year old life, even with all its freedom and things I didn't appreciate, I wouldn't yep. trade it. I wouldn't trade my 31 year old life. Yep. I really appreciate this stage of, of life. And there's the aspect of kind of becoming invisible. Um, but really what it means is becoming invisible to the male gaze that I love. It's so freeing. And, you know, I think that younger women are, um, aren't as aware of how, the dynamics of that will change, but it can be so great. That's a, see, we have so many topics we can go off on because yeah, I mean, Bridget and I like being like staunch feminists and like, like we have our opinions. We could have a whole conversation about uh, misogyny and, and oh, misogyny in the workplace. Like, I mean, God, we must have stories. We both have probably have stories coming up the yin yang of, of, uh, of that life back in our early twenties. And we're, working in news. Well, and here's the other good thing. Here's the other good thing about being a small business owner, choosing your own clients is that you can choose to only surround yourself with other smart people who share values with you. Now, that is not to say anybody who sees me on Twitter, I'm hyper progressive. Um, That's the politics I choose. I criticize our conservative government very loudly, very frequently. But I have clients who vote for that government. And those clients and I 
can have respectful conversations because my expectation isn't that every single you and I have have disagreed about things political or whatever. And it hasn't it didn't change my respect level for you at all. Of course it didn't, because I know you to be a smart with it woman. And there's no reason in the world why that should mean we have to think identically all the time. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a part of it. I think I, I agree. And I think that's a the that's part of the the toxicity of what social media breeds is that it's sort of this pile on culture and that um, you're either with us or against us. And um, even some of my followers on Twitter who again are progressive and all of that go too far and they, and I'm like, okay, this is not my, and, but yet if you, if you, you voice a concern or you, they immediately pile on. It's like, wait, we're all in the same pool. I just feel that you're like, but yet it's like being, it's somehow being in junior high a little bit. That's like this, everyone picks a side and that, and, and again, I think that comes with age when you realize there's so much more gray in the middle, but I find um, when I scroll through my Twitter feed in particular, I'm like, oh yeah, well, she's 30. It's funny she's you mentioned junior like, high. You're so, they're so militant in their thinking. It's like, no, you're going to, you're going to get older and like, experience some things and realize that things aren't that black and white. That's exactly it. And I think like for me, I was never a cool kid. I was never, I went, I lived in a very wealthy community, but my parents weren't wealthy. And so it really gives you a different kind of take on um, that sort of cool kid mentality in in junior high and high school. And that just was never me. And and, um, the people that I am still friends with from that era um, had to have a similar experience to, to me. I have a couple of friends that have been lifelong friends. Um, and I think if you grow up in a circumstance where people don't necessarily approve of you or accept you, um, it gives you such a superpower when you're older, because we will all experience that eventually. But if it was a formative childhood experience where you didn't feel accepted, you can start to build up this comfort level. And so when I started a small business, you and I were talking about it before we started recording today, I didn't register the business name. I didn't, I paid my taxes, but that was basically the only official thing that I did. And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't think this is right, but I guess somebody will, I guess I'll figure it out eventually. And I did. And I think if I had been somebody who my whole life had been a part of that accepted inner circle, inner click kind of thing, it would have felt way too fucking scary to start a business and maybe get it wrong. Um, And so for my kids now, my son is um, very much like his dad and I, where he's not um, like a mega popular kid, but he's got his little friends that that he has. And I encourage this. I think it's only going to serve him well to, at a young age, stop worrying what people think because you can't shape it. Totally agree. And I think, um, unfortunately, a lot of those insecurities and a lot of the popular versus nerdy kid culture of school overflows into the business world because that's what everybody knows. And so that's why there's bullying and in office spaces and there's that um, clicks and neuroed and this, that. And I think that is one of the things that I have found the most freeing about being an entrepreneur is I don't have to deal with the constant office bullshit all the time. And that was my biggest struggle with with what I did. And especially because I worked in government and and nonprofits is that um, you always had to watch what you said or watch who you were talking with because all of that always came back. And when you're dealing with funders and governments and things like that. And so I always felt that I always had sort of sort of had to be a different person 
at in my jobs and and I just couldn't ever have um I couldn't be myself outside of work because I always felt it was reflecting on my on my day job and so I think that's the one thing I would say to anyone who's considering becoming an entrepreneur if you if you are like Bridget and I and you sort of always had a voice but always felt that you had to 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 hide it or to 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 quiet it down or that you were the nerdy weird kid the fun kid but it was never like the cheerleader you're probably like the perfect person to be an entrepreneur because we are the ones that have always made our own way because yep. we always had to figure out a different way to do things because we were never part of the sort of flow of the river and it just takes you a little while to figure out that like oh wait this is why I don't like work it's not the work it's the structure and I try to bring that to marketing because for me, the fundamentals are always your messaging. How do you describe what you do to the people who want to pay for what you do? And the more, it sounds trite, but the more authentic that you can be when you're creating that messaging, the more likely you are to find your real group of people that will be your evangelists, that will be your fans. And so take that mindset of, you know what, I'm just going to forge my own path and put it into words and describe why, what you're doing, why you're doing it, what it means to you, be that little bit of vulnerable. And it will come very naturally to some and it will be harder for others. But once you do that, you can continue to use that language that you develop on your website, on social media, if that's what you're doing, on, um, in, face-to-face conversations with people it is the foundation of everything you do that's really interesting like just even from a branding um perspective but what I like about what you've done with your business I mean especially using your um journalism background is that you have you have created and this is what I don't think like I don't think there's enough of this in the marketplace um enough you so to speak but you have created a copywriting marketing service. And I think copywriting and and good copy outside of just ads, but good copy in newsletters and websites and blogs and all of those things is an art that is just overlooked. And so people are churning out blogs or churning out websites and and you go to them and you're like, well, this is not remotely interesting or whatever. And so to be able to take your love of creating a story and turn it into a business. And it's funny now that like, because I know you, but now knowing your business, it's like, I'm sure like, and, and knowing some of your clients, I'm like, oh, that looks like Bridget's work. And it's, <laughs> but it's true. And I think that's a huge testament to what you do. But I think explaining a little bit, and um, especially to small businesses in terms of why writing who you are and, and writing interesting and innovative and 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 thought-provoking copy is the first step to a successful business well i think it starts with the fact that we have been inundated with the suggestion to write content instead of copy and there's a huge huge difference there that small business owners need to understand content is something that your audience may enjoy reading or they may not Copy is something that your audience will read that will convert them into being a 
buyer or at the very least a lead. And so you're writing in a way that sparks action and that action is to spend money. So literally everything that you and I have talked about today, willingness to talk about money, willingness to have an opinion, willingness to be yourself and be a bit vulnerable, all of those things make it copy. They make your audience go, yep, this is somebody that I want to merge with and make a difference with. And there's science to back this up because if you read something that resonates with you, it actually releases the hormone oxytocin, which we know as the love hormone. It's the one that you get when you're cuddling your baby or your dog or your spouse or whatever, um, that actually comes up when you're reading something that causes you to forge a connection with somebody. And I think that if you create this beautiful, expensive website, but you don't have the language on it, whether in a video, whether in writing or whatever, that causes people to have that desire to connect with you, it's just a really expensive brochure that may or may not work. And so to me, that's the fundamental, that's the, the, the understanding the difference between of what copy really is and recognizing that you need to incorporate that because you got to make money. So talk to me a little bit about, um, you, you said earlier in the, um, in the podcast about your job or what you do is increasing your clients leads by 50%. Talk to me a little bit about how that works, because I I'm terrible. Like as a business owner, I have no clue how that works just as myself. Um, so like, t- like, so talk to me as though you were pitching me on you because um, I don't understand. I don't know how to create leads. I don't even know how to convert leads. Everyone talks about the funnel and all that. And I'm like, I don't understand. It's anything. a lot. It's a lot easier than people let on. Okay, so to me, um, a sales qualified lead is somebody that already is warm to you and is moments away, and that can be, you know, an infinite amount of moments, but, you know, moments away from agreeing to spend money on what you have. The problem with most businesses is they start treating that lead generation like one person's job. It is the marketing person's job to bring in those leads. But to me, especially in a small business, marketing isn't a department. It's a function of every single person's job. We are all in a small business, excuse me, um, in charge of making sure that people know what we're doing and describing what we're doing in a way that makes them want to buy. And you hear that a lot. Um, Like Peter Drucker, the management expert says, um, marketing is the whole business seen from the customer's point of view. Everybody needs to think about it from the customer's point of view. So when you start to do that, you start to instinctively understand, okay, this is where my buyer hangs out. We should make sure our message is there. And this is what's important to my buyer. So we should make sure that the message includes this. Every single person on the team has a take on that and it can all be used together to create these leads. And so, um, you know, once those leads come in, the selling aspect is a whole different thing. And too many businesses are trying to keep it kind of all as one. So to me, the 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 measure of creating more uh, more leads is when you go to tell somebody about your business, it's easy, it's clear, you know exactly what's going to make them make the move. And then you know all of the different conversations and steps to have to transition them from somebody who's listening to you to somebody who's paying you money to do what you do. 
and there's all those tactics, right? Like um, you can do marketing materials, whether that's brochures or signage or, or whatever, um, email marketing, social media, uh, your website, having events, paying for advertising, public relations, including media relations. These are all different tactics that will bring these leads in. But it's the process of what you say to them and what you do to get them from going from lead to sales that makes all the difference. Wow. I am. Does that answer your question? It does. And I think you're totally correct in that everyone, I mean, this has always been um, a rant that um, my friend and colleague, Melanie, and I've had for years is that everyone focuses on tactics always. Like anytime I meet prospective clients, or it's like immediately they want to jump to like, oh, let's get on social and, or like, we need to send out a news release. And it's like, what? Like, this isn't even a story. Like they don't, like, but, but tactics are sexy, right? So, so many small businesses don't see the work from a strategic perspective that has to happen before you even get to the tactical place. It's like, if you don't know who you are and you don't know what you're saying and you don't know who you're saying it to, all the tactics is just, it's just throwing good money after bad. Exactly. And this comes back to why I don't automatically recommend social media because if you decide that you want to bring in more leads, you think about who your consumer, your audience is, and you learn that they are people who aren't on Instagram in a decision-making capacity, then you can just ignore it. That's okay. You can ignore Instagram. You can ignore Facebook. I have a Facebook account because I use it to um, for people who are also in our business. They know you need a business Facebook business account to purchase advertising on behalf of clients. But I haven't actually checked my own messenger in years, probably three years. I don't, I just don't do it. And the reason that I don't is because when I think about my client, it's a small business owner. They are maybe on LinkedIn to try to network. They attend seminars. They listen to podcasts. Um, that's the reason I'm here. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like yeah. it's just, I, I have figured out where my, my people hang out and it isn't there. So you're, you're free. You, I, I save that amount of money. I save that time. I save the heartache of not getting the engagement that you need to get be getting. Like all of that, I save it all, and I try to do that for my clients wherever I can too. See, that's the straight talk that we all need to to be having, like with each other and with our clients. That's like, no, like you don't, you don't need to be on Instagram, like unless you are, like. If you're a photographer and that's your place to show your work, absolutely. Like even just from a branding perspective and people want to see what you do. But I'm not putting up like, I mean, my Instagram is just sort of like pretty stock photos really, but I'm not going to put up like case study. I mean, I get, I can do that on my web. That's fine. But I'm like, I'm not going to use my Instagram as a, as a, as a way to, to showcase my work because Ultimately, as I have sort of discovered, and you're probably in the same boat, I'm the product. Like, <laughs> it's totally true. I want to get out of being the product. I'm like I'm in the process of doing that so that everything is a system and that yeah. I'm not the only person. But I'm like right it, now, it's for like, now. When you see when you work with Elizabeth Communicate, it's me. And when we're talking about um we were, before we started recording and we talked about our business names and registering business names, and everyone was like, Oh, Alyssa, like you're, you're just going to limit yourself because like, what if you like want to sell it or you're not the face? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Every do every ad agency on the planet is named after a dude. So why can't I have my own name, whether I'm at the front of it or not? Like, 
Alyssa Berry Communications can be a world conglomerate, a communications agency, and I don't have to be a part of it, but my name can be. Anyway, that was my Nobody says that to Edelman. Nobody says that to Hilla Knowlton, you know, and I think it's like women do feel um, like there's something wrong with with doing that. And there just, there really isn't. Like, I have a lot of opinions on naming because of course that's a huge part of copywriting (laughs) is not only naming your business, but coming up with a tagline, naming your offerings is something that like, if you're a baker and you offer a ice strong cupcakes package, name it, give it a name, the super cupcake party package. And then it's so much easier to sell. So to me, I'm really, really interested in what names work and people naming businesses after themselves is a good idea. What is your business about? Alyssa Berry Communications. It friggin' says it all. Well, it was ABC. Like, oh, it's my friend Carrie who That's came up with it. She's like, it's ABC. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Again, no thoughts put into anything in my world. I just go ahead and do things because that's what I do. Anyway, well, I know that I could talk to you for hours. Like, I, I know think, I could too. I feel like I've droned on and on. So thank you for having no, me. No, I think this was really, it was helpful, I think, for me, just as a business owner to to get a um, a flip on even how I'm positioning myself. And I think hearing it from someone who's in the industry and it's not someone who's like an accountant who's telling us these things. Yeah. So sometimes that's how it works. It's like, Oh, I'm a business strategist. I'm like, I don't care. Do you work in comms? Like, cause we're different. So it's true. I, I appreciate that. But in the instance of time, cause like, obviously we're all busy and have things to do. Um, in wrapping up, we always have two questions that um, we ask people at the end of all our podcasts. And the first one is, what are you reading right now? So I am reading, um, I always have a ton of books on the go. One yeah. of them is always an Agatha Christie novel because that's how I shut my brain off. And so I always have a few. But the one that is the most interesting and the most challenging for me right now is called The Deficit Myth. And it's by Dr. Stephanie Kelton, who is a renowned woman economist, and she does not give an F what people think of her. She has a theory. It's called modern monetary theory. It's not just her theory, but she is a proponent of modern monetary theory. And the thing behind that is basically governments who print their own money, like Canada, like the US, do not need to worry about spending. They need to control inflation. And as long as they're controlling inflation, they can continue to spend it at what we consider to be a deficit and fund social programs. And I wanted to read it because I believe in that, but I'm also not an economist and I'm not very good at describing why I think it's okay during times like COVID for our government to go into uh, a deficit. And so this is a great book. It's a challenge to read if you're not an economist, but it's not it's it's not out of reach by any stretch. She's a great writer, Dr. Stephanie Kelton. Follow her on Instagram, learn about modern monetary theory. I find it really, really fascinating um we will have that book and uh dr stephanie's instagram linked in the show notes so um be sure to check that out we'll um, link to her book on uh, amazon and um second of all what or who is inspiring you right now um you know it's so much easier to find people who don't inspire you. And it's so, which is so unfortunate right now. 
One of my clients interviewed Dr. Joe Vipond in uh, Calgary recently, or one of, he had him involved in a video. And Dr. for people who don't know, Dr. Vipond was uh, behind the organization. He's an emergency room physician. He's behind a lot of the protests against re- diminished regulations. And he is just this renaissance man of a human being. I had interviewed him back when I was a reporter. I interviewed him again recently for this client video. And he is so invested in the health of Canadians. I felt Follow him on Twitter. I love watching him be interviewed. And I think that, um, you know, he just has so much good stuff to say at a time where it's much easier to be uninspired by the public discourse rather than inspired. And so Dr. Vipon for me would be somebody who is inspiring me right now. He is amazing. And I think what I have found most interesting about this COVID um, where we are now, like 18, 19 months later into COVID, is how physicians and, and Dr. Vipond at the front of that and Dr. Markland as well out of Edmonton have stepped up to use their own personal capital to voice their concerns and voice their um, their personal feelings about what's happening and their exhaustion and their all of that. And I think that story and 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 having these physicians play a role because previously you'd never hear from physicians and they would always be in the background like I mean going through this is 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 already mentally exhausting for for all of these healthcare workers but like for for these physicians to step up in this manner and and like Joe Vipon to organize rallies and to organize public discourse about what is happening I think has been amazing to witness just from a PR perspective, like how these physicians who are scientists and work in hospitals and help people every day are actual media wizards and how they have rallied this and and, and created a a media interest and and stories. It's, It's fascinating. Well, and think about it the way that uh, your Twitter works and why I think it's so successful because you're so you and it's so natural. And I think Dr. Markland and Dr. Vipond have really gone out there and been willing to just be themselves, criticize people who it's difficult for them to criticize because of what they do, um, give people props, um, share their true opinions, share their suffering and their own vulnerability and how they feel. And it's, again, that level of authenticity that makes their audience want to be a part of it. It sparks that oxytocin. It sparks that feeling to join up for their audience. There are people who criticize Dr. Vipon. They don't feel like that. They don't get the urge to merge with what he's talking about, Um, but he doesn't care. He's going to continue being himself. And so if there's any way, any message for small business owners and people trying to promote um, their business to take away from that is nothing beats authenticity. Nothing trumps it. Oh, that is the perfect way to end um, this discussion is authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. Um, Again, like Bridget, you're one of my favorite people. You know that we go back and forth on Instagram DMs all the time. And even though, as we mentioned, as we talked about before we started recording this, we haven't seen seen each other in person in like two years. I still feel like you're in my world every day. You're my people. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know that's how I feel too. I um, would like to invite you to be interviewed on my blog and Dakota as well, if if you would like to be, so that we can keep this party going. I would love to talk to you guys uh, soon for my blog, Whole Team Habits. Which, if I may, people mm-hmm. can join on my website, createthatcopy.com, and sign up. You get a weekly tip on Sundays for a practical thing you can do to bring in more leads for your business. Yes, and I was going to say that newsletter is really cool. I signed up, and again. She like Bridget uses great copy and it gets you every time she sends it out. So all of Bridget's information, website, newsletter, all of that stuff will be um, in our show notes as well. So um, Bridget, thank you so much. And hopefully in the next little while, we can actually see each other in person. But again, um, the ladies, as a ladies who launch person who gets the whole purpose of what we're trying to do here, um, we need more of you and more of all of us um, using our voices and, uh, moving women entrepreneurs to the forefront as we come out of COVID and onto bigger and better things. Thank you so much for having me. I really had fun today. Awesome. And tune in next time for, um, our next episode of ladies who launch, who will probably be back to the two of us. Um, hopefully, um, take care of Dakota and, uh, see everyone next time. Well, not see, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you for listening to Ladies Who Launch. Join Dakota and Alyssa every second Wednesday for more conversations and interesting guests. Be sure to give us a five-star rating and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. If you send us a question, we may answer it on a future episode. 